AI for You. Welcome back to AI for You, a podcast hosted by AI for Anyone, a nonprofit dedicated to helping anyone learn about artificial intelligence. Join us on an adventure of building a relationship with AI as we bring you the freshest AI news, conversations with AI experts and skeptics alike, and equip you with the tools to understand AI better. Today's episode features Sydney Madison Prescott, an expert in intelligent process automation, which spans across robotic process automation, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. When we interviewed Sydney in 2019, she led this work at eTrade, a global investment firm. Fast forward to 2020, she is a senior engineering manager at Spotify, leading the company's global intelligent automation program. She's also a passionate supporter of women in technology, and we're so excited to share this interview with you today. Our hosts, Mac and Haroon, chat with Sydney about embracing mentorship, non-traditional entries into the AI space, and the importance of bold and diverse thought at all levels, particularly at the enterprise level. Enjoy. All right, so uh, welcome to the podcast, Sydney. We're really excited to have you. Um, so, just to kind of kick things off, we wanted to ask you: um, How did you get into data science and cognitive automation? So, uh, very interesting story, actually. So, I have had a a very non traditional kind of path uh, into technology. Uh, I actually started out as a philosophy major. Uh, with a uh, double minor in uh, ethics and political science. And my goal at the time when I was in school was to actually go to law school and become a lawyer. So that was the path that I was on. Uh, you know, that was the plan. And I actually had a, a peer who was with me at the time, who was also a philosophy major, who graduated before I did. And long story short, she made a recommendation for me uh, for a, a position in a technology firm, uh, specifically in the financial services industry. And at the time, it was a uh, kind of more of an admin position. And upon talking with me, the leadership actually offered me an internship. And so that internship sat in technology, and it was uh, a, an internship with the asset and configuration management team. Uh, and, and really the goal there was I was going to come in, review software contracts. Um, I was going to be able to look and see uh, where the deltas were in terms of what type of licensing we had on hand uh, versus what was in the contractual uh, agreements. And it was all supposed to tie in right to my legal career or pursuits. Uh, but when I started, and that was at First Data, I believe they, they are now Pfizer, so when I started out there, it was I was sitting as an asset and configuration management intern in the global software and um, and infrastructure automation team. So it was very heavily technology, heavy tech. Uh, so a lot of you know everything going on from talking about virtual machines to cloud uh, to you know we were tearing out like a, the configuration management uh, database at the time. And I was surrounded by all of these things, and I fell in love, basically, with uh, technology at the time. 
so I was still in school, still continuing my kind of path, and everyone around me, you know, from my from senior leaders to uh, just other individuals who were in my internship, uh, even to individuals that were full-time employees, kept telling me, oh, you know, you really have uh, a talent for this, and you should really consider being in technology. Uh, you have the mindset, you have, uh, you know, the drive. And at the end of uh, when I graduated from school, I was offered a position, and that officially kind of started me along the route uh, into technology. I was a little round the way, <laughs> but um, but it, it was really interesting because I, I really came in with uh, very, very limited knowledge of technology and, and really specific to what it was like to just be a typical end user, right? So no real understanding of, uh, you know, infrastructure or technology methodology or even any real uh, corporate experience. So it was a true opportunity for me to learn from the ground up, uh, not only technology, but what it's like to also be in a, in a corporate environment as well. Well, that's amazing. So it sounds like your interests kind of aligned in your current role and uh, your previous role as well. Um, so uh, you're currently at E-Trade. You're doing uh, cognitive and um, automation over there as a principal. And so it seems like your background in finance and your background in technology and automation uh, really converged into what you're doing now on the day-to-day. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the the way that I built my skill set, so starting from kind of entering the financial industry, uh, entering technology, and really just gaining an understanding of how all of those pieces work together, uh, and even how how from a leadership and management perspective, how teams kind of intermingle and work together. Um, all of that has definitely helped me in uh, not only my career trajectory, but where I am today in terms of uh, where I sit at, at E-Trade. Uh, so that definitely is the, the non-traditional way of getting into tech. Um, and how did that, uh, how did you coming in as somewhat of an outsider play to your benefit? So that's a great question. I think it really played to my benefit uh, because when I look back at the the way that I approached problem solving, the way that I approached uh, new initiatives that we had within the firm, rather than uh, I didn't really have the kind of that traditional uh, foundation of tech speak or tech think. And so I was really able to leverage that to my benefit and think outside of the box. So I would approach almost every situation with a really uh, greenfield mentality. You know, tell me the tell me the challenge, right? Tell me who all the players are. Tell me what resources we have at our disposal. And let me just almost brainstorm. And I remember... Back then and even to this day, I'm a very passionate whiteboard user, so I absolutely love just framing out, you know, where everything is in the current state and really thinking of the future state as as truly something that is a possibility uh, and not limiting myself in terms of what has been done in the past. And I think that really does come from uh, having kind of a non-traditional approach and background to 
uh, entering into the technology sector and that I don't, and it, and it plays to my benefit that I don't have almost, uh, how can I say this, like a more of a negative or, or, you know, things that have happened before that I'm going to say, well, it's never going to work. It's never going to work because, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, I'm, I'm more of the mindset of, you know, let's, let's, X, Y, Z doesn't exist for me. So mm-hmm. now let's talk about what we can do, right, for this particular problem. Um, so it's, it's definitely been a, a huge benefit to be almost an outsider stepping into the technology industry um, from my perspective. That's, that's amazing. And, and, um, and I guess that really plays well with, you know, being in the AI space, right? Is uh, because the field is so uh, evolving and so quickly uh, changing, it's really important to sort of embrace the, the change and have that sort of mindset uh, so that you can sort of explore the direction that the industry is moving in. So I'm sure it really plays an advantage in artificial intelligence. It uh, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So just to pivot a little bit, uh, we see that, you know, outside of work, um, you're also involved in an organization. Uh, you uh, helped uh, found an organization uh, named Chief, which is focused on uh, taking uh, women in executive positions and senior positions, uh, leadership positions in, in companies and sort of bringing them together and uh, facilitating uh, dialogue amongst them and creating that community so what inspired you to create something like that? So, so I am um, one of the actual founding, more of a founding member uh, than a, a creator, but I can absolutely speak to what propelled me to, to want to come on board to an organization like this. Uh, so Chief is specifically founded with the belief that there, there is a great benefit to really increasing the number of uh, women that we have, specifically in senior leadership positions, uh, and that's across all industries, so including technology, of course. And that in and of itself really appealed to me. Having a, an entity, a group where the motivation really is to Give, to have a, almost a resource platform to give women the ability to navigate these ladders, right, as you move up, up in your career, it's a lot harder to get the type of insight and the type of mentorship that you need as you climb the corporate ladder um, as someone who identifies as a female. Uh, and in a lot of industries uh, across the board in, in Fortune 500s, see a very limited number of women that are in, you know, in any sort of C-suite position, whether it's COO, CTO, CEO. Uh, we just don't see that very often. Women are, are nine times out of ten the minority in a C-suite position. And because of that, it doesn't really allow women to who are interested in coming into the C-suite, right, when you don't see a lot of people that look like you it can be a little, a little um, nerve-wracking. It can be a little, you can be a little hesitant to want to step into an environment like that. And you may not even have the tool set to be able to understand where to even start, right? If you're, you want to be, for instance, a chief technology officer, as a woman, 
and you're looking around at who, who are my inspirations, um, it's very hard to find them. Uh, we, we're very far and few between uh, as you rise up in leadership. And that in and of itself really motivates me to I wanted to be around other women who were in leadership positions who could do, do a few things, uh, help me to bounce around ideas about where my career could go, how I could grow it, uh, what would make me successful in the long run, um, how to set goals, uh, how to build uh, almost a, a team, a circle of trust around me to, to help motivate me and guide me as I, as I continue to uh, try to advance my career trajectory. And then also to get more insight into all of the different industries that are out there because I think it really benefits all of us when we step outside of the particular industry that we have uh, expertise in and we can say, you know what, I really want to know what it's like to be in marketing or I really want to know what it's like to be in manufacturing. Uh, What are some of the challenges that you're facing? Because that helps me as a technologist understand the pain points and the objectives and the goals of, of those other uh, industries, right, and their senior leadership. So it really helps me to step kind of outside of the technology bubble, so to speak, and understand what some of the challenges that um, other Fortune 500, Fortune 250 companies are facing. And I can definitely do that as a member of Chief because we have – as I said, senior leaders uh, who are all women from literally every single industry uh, across the board. And it's just a, when I say a wealth of knowledge, I mean, that that really isn't even the term for it. It's, it's, uh, it's just incredible to see everything from individual paths to leadership to, as I said, how everyone wants to change their particular industry uh, and, and also, right, just just trying to understand the camaraderie of women who are senior executives and what that looks like and what that's going to materialize uh, as, as we hear so many, you know, Melinda Gates, I think, came out yesterday uh, with a with billion dollars that she wants to invest in gender uh, equality in technology, right? So there's all of these, these opportunities that are coming out. Uh, really trying to speak to gender disparity across different industries. And I think having a, a group like Chief um, adds to that conversation and adds something very, very valuable to the overall conversation of where we are today with a lack of women in senior leadership positions and where we'd like to go in the future uh, in terms of not only the women who are in the industry today, but the women who are, you know, still in school right now, uh, the women who are, you know, starting to think about what they want their careers to look like uh, as they as they enter the, the, the workforce. Um, and all of that plays well to not just women, but to the success of every single industry, right, uh, whether you're a man or a woman. So I, I think she's in and of itself – is innovative in that they're looking to have a community for women of a specific uh, leadership level and and hoping to propel those women forward uh, and then have those women kind of pay it back in terms of looking at bringing up the next uh, generation of women 
who want to be leaders uh, across any industry. That's an incredible initiative, a necessary one. Um, and so I, I know that you, uh, it says that you um, are a, an organization for C-level or above. So what, what advice would you have for women who are aspiring to get into those positions, but are in school or are just in an entry-level position? Um, and, and maybe specifically in... I think, so the first advice I would have is I, I definitely started out, as I said, as an intern, so very entry-level, uh, and moved my way up. And I would say the thing that allowed me to advance uh, as quickly as I have is really embracing uh, mentorship and really embracing um, being curious and trying to learn as much as I could about the industry uh, while I was while I was almost like on the ground working. I was also learning at the same time. So being inquisitive, uh, keeping your mind open, and devour everything that you can devour in terms of reading. You know, if you can look at TechCrunch, you can look at the Wall Street Journal technology section, uh, New York Times technology section that's pretty great. Um, and then also a lot of, there are so many online blogs now that are specifically related to AI and related to technology. So I think I would suggest leverage the, leverage all of the different types of uh, feedback that we're getting, whether it's from blogs, from um Public, like official publications on technology, but then also really dive into if you are an entry-level uh, individual and hoping to advance quickly in technology, mentorship is your kind of your, your golden ticket into uh, being able to progress quickly because it tying yourself to a mentor allows you to really get an inside view of a lot of things that you you aren't necessarily going to learn, even if you're in business school or even if you're you are a, a computer science major. Uh, a lot of the almost unspoken uh, components of what it takes to to one get a position in technology, but to also maintain that position and to excel. A lot of that is very unspoken. Uh, those are rules of engagement that are learned over time as someone who is actually sitting in the industry. So if you can find a mentor uh, in a particular area that you're interested in, interested in in technology, and you can, you know, follow up with sessions. May I, I typically do once every two weeks or if, if your mentor is very busy once a month, uh, sitting down with them and really understanding what their trajectory was uh, for their career, and also the questions that you have that you may not be able to ask those in the moment as a, kind of an entry-level uh, staff uh, position, but those are questions that you can bring to your mentor about, you know, questions about performance reviews or, you know, what, how can I map out my uh, what I want my career to look like, right? Like what's going to be the next step after this, you know, entry-level analyst position? Uh, all of those types of questions are essential uh, to your success. And I think a mentor helps you to kind of put a nice ribbon around 
uh, all there's so many components floating around with a, a corporate career and technology. A mentor can help you nav- successfully navigate uh, the different components of the technology sector, I think. No, I, I totally agree with you on the mentorship part. Um, so some of our some of our listeners might be wondering or might be intimidated by the process of looking for a mentor or might think that maybe they're unqualified to find the appropriate mentor or you know something along those lines. So would you happen to have any advice or any sort of experiences that you can share regarding you know finding a mentor that changed your life? Yes. So I I had the great fortune uh, and still do of having two mentors. So the first, uh, I'll give a little kind of anecdotal uh, knowledge, and then I'll I'll give some some feedback on what I think uh, someone who's a bit intimidated could could potentially do to to get around that. So my experience was when I started out as an intern, I actually had my direct boss uh, who was instrumental in one, he had been in, in technology and in the technology sector in the corporate world for quite some time. Uh, so again, he had that, that kind of knowledge base to, to share with me. And then two, he had uh, personal knowledge of my skill set, my work ethic, and my drive uh, because I was his direct report. So is that those two things combined together allowed him to become a mentor to me because he was able to see on a real-time level, right, what I was delivering, uh, what my work ethic was, and how I was involved with my team members. Uh, but I also think that that is a great key to point out is that a lot of the mentors that you can find as an entry-level uh, individual in technology are happen very organically. So it's a very, you know, it's the individual that you may directly report to, or it may be a peer who may be um, more of a senior level, but they you may not report to them, but you may work on a project with them. So there's a very organic nature to finding a mentor especially in within your specific team or uh, tangential teams that you are working with. So I think that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is look around, again, at the teams that you're working with or, or even teams that you'd like to work with uh, and look and see what they're doing and how they're achieving things. Um, and then I think you will there, there will be certain individuals that you gravitate towards, whether you gravitate towards the way their mind works, or you gravitate towards the way that they uh, are instrumental in driving a team or driving a project. And those individuals are going to be able to help you to uh, understand what, and, and you really need to kind of know yourself as well to say, okay, what really stands out to me and speaks to me about this particular individual? Um, and, and conduct kind of an informal interview with, with uh, someone that you're impressed with their work ethic or you're impressed with the way they drive deliverables, um, sit down with them. Even a quick, you know, 20 or 30 minutes can help you to one, understand what appeals to you about that particular role and position, uh, what appeals to you about the way that that particular individual handles themselves and uh, drives their career forward. But then it also gives you an opening to continue conversation and potentially have that individual as a mentor. 
Um, so I, I think informational interviews, uh, really looking around you and finding out what appeals to you from a from a work perspective and how people do what they do. Um, and then also just remembering that mentors quite often happen very organically. Both of my mentors happen to be my direct managers, um, and, and they fundamentally change the way that I was able to identify what I brought to the table and how unique my skill set was and how to also articulate that skill set in a way that really provided some value, right, to other individuals. incredible advice and I think that our, our listeners will definitely appreciate that um, and uh, so just to, to get into a little bit more about what you do uh, for eTrade specifically um, what would a, an average day-to-day kind of look like so I'm, a, I'm one of the senior leaders on our uh, robotic process automation team so a, a typical day uh, it's a, <laughs> a wide variety of things so it's everything from uh, engaging with an external vendor uh, about specific platform components to uh, engaging with our business stakeholders and really uh, diving into the challenges that they have in their uh, given area, pain points, uh, understanding what we as a robotic process automation team uh, can do to help solve some of those pain points. Uh, also talking through typically timelines and, you know, what projects are in flight, uh, what are, if there's any blockers to any of those projects, and then typically also talking uh, a lot about, about delivery itself and what does that, that delivery look like and are there going to be any impediments uh, to rolling out uh, bots in production. Uh, and then there's also a lot of guidance uh, in terms of I do manage my own team, uh, so there's a lot of guidance around uh, managing my direct reports, and that's everything from uh, understanding how each project is doing and how that business analyst or QA uh, analyst is dealing with uh, making sure that we're driving our stakeholders to actually deliver successful uh, projects. So it's a lot of, I would say, decent amount of management. Uh, there is quite a bit of thought leadership in terms of framing out uh, the maturity of the program and what the next steps are going to be from uh, everything from a technology perspective to uh, a, a resource perspective. Uh, and then there's also some significant uh, kind, of, kind of operational support where we're just specifically talking about, you know, how do we maintain what we already have in production and how do we uh, roll out new implementations as well. Very cool. That's very cool. And as you're well aware of, uh, you know, artificial intelligence is uh, is supposedly going to replace um, jobs in countless industries, and uh, finance is no exception. Um, having been involved in the finance space myself, I know that uh, specifically with trading, in regards to trading, there's a lot of uh, potential use cases uh, emerging where people are trying to find uh, leverage alternative data, as it's known, to make informed trading decisions and to make faster and better trading decisions. So how do you think in your industry or just in general, uh, AI and automation are, is going to impact the job market? What are your thoughts on 
the potential impact it'll have in, let's say, 10 years? That's, that's such a great question. And I think there have been so many, uh, I'll say there's a lot of negative connotations around uh, technology and how we are going to impact the human workforce. And typically it's for the worse, right? Like I've, I've read countless articles where, you know, it's a bit of fear mongering, right? It's, it's you know, I think humans as a, as a, as a species are generally uh, a bit fearful, right, of new things and, and changes. And I think technology and the way that uh, the, te- the technology sector specifically is really embracing kind of AI and cognitive uh, automations, it, it, it does appear to be a bit scary from the outside looking in. That being said... I actually am of a completely different mindset uh, of that regarding how this type of technology, so specifically cognitive automation, will impact the workforce of the future. I actually think that it is going to be less of a, of a uh, kind of constraint in terms of, I've heard, you know, getting rid of jobs or limiting human jobs to kind of uh, a bit more, a bit more, how can I say, high level and more leadership skills. I actually think that cognitive automation, if we embrace it properly within the workforce, we actually can augment the human workforce. And I think there is a, there's such a profound difference in the way that humans can approach work if we if we almost think of cognitive automation as an integration with the potential that humans already have rather than uh, something that we should be afraid of or something that we should say it's going to come in and kind of get rid of jobs. Um, I almost think it, 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 if we think of it as automation allows us to enhance what we inherently already have as human beings, then... If you think of it that way, the potential that we have in the workforce is, is almost limitless, right? If you have the ability as a, a human, uh, an individual of the human workforce to leverage AI, uh, let's say, right from your desktop, that in and of itself changes the way that you work, what you can deliver, how fast you can deliver it, um, and also frees you up to really expand upon uh, different ideas, different modes of thought, and really increases the ability of all of us to, to have more time to think outside of the box rather than being pressured because we have so many deliverables that we can't keep up. Uh, we, we often don't have a lot of time to kind of just expand our, our thoughts around, you know, creating new methodologies of, of business or, you know, new technology. Uh, quite often we're stuck in the mundane, you know, day-to-day work. We don't have a lot of time to, uh, to, to think in a way almost that a lot of um, startups do where they have a lot of time, right, to flesh out ideas that may seem crazy, but they really aren't. It's just having the amount of time to create an idea, think of a methodology and a way to approach that idea uh, and what you want to deliver, but you need less um, you need less burden on other kind of mundane decisions 
and less burden from that in order to really expand your capacity to think outside of the box. So I think cognitive automation, we should just think of it as a way to enhance the human workforce rather than to uh, sustaining growth, so to speak, or, or employment growth. Uh, and that's, a, that's across any industry. I think you'll see whether it's manufacturing, whether it's uh, uh, film industry, whether it's technology. I think cognitive automation has the, the ability to actually profoundly uh, increase the efficiency and the amount of uh, whether it's material or immaterial things that we can actually deliver. I, I certainly love the, the optimistic approach to automation and cognitive automation. Um, I can definitely appreciate that. Um, and so, I, I, while you were while you were explaining that, you said uh, you put a big if out there, and it's if properly implemented, right? And so, I kind of want to hear a little bit more about what you think the proper implementation of uh, robotic automation and cognitive automation would be. I think first that starts out with a strategy. Uh, where and, and really the strategy starts with a, a short-term goal and a long-term goal. And I think what that helps to do is it helps you to avoid uh, being more reactive in terms of how you implement your, your automations. So I always start with what problem are we trying to solve? Do we, do we truly know what problem we're trying to solve or do we just think we know what problem, what problem we're trying to solve? Uh, and then my next step is typically, okay, once we've, once we've kind of identified a, a problem or maybe a problem area that we want to tackle, what are we hoping to gain by introducing this type of automation uh, into, into the conversation? Um, and not just short-term gains, but long-term gains as well. And then my next question is always, once we introduce automation, so the introduction and kind of the standing up your infrastructure and, uh, you know, getting your software up and running, getting your workflows created, going through your, your test data and things of that nature, that's one element. But then your next element is once you have all of your automations in production, you need to start thinking about how do you want to mature that program? How do you want to mature out your approach to cognitive automation. And typically, most firms don't start out with, uh, if you want to get into, let's say, AI, or you want to get into machine learning, or you want to get into OCR, typically, firms start out with uh, robotic process automation because it's a relatively easy barrier to entry. Uh, it's rather, it's technical, but it, there's, there are definitely areas of it where you can learn it even as a business stakeholder. Uh, and that allows a lot of firms to basically jump into cognitive automation, but there's a, an easier, uh, there's, there's a lot less lift in terms of getting developers and getting, you know, your solutions engineer and, and everyone who needs to be on your team. Um, but I think responsible implementation begins with having a clear strategy, uh, being able to understand what your maturity uh, is going to look like, the, the maturity of your particular program. And then I also think it, it really involves looking at the skill set of your existing workforce and understanding how 
all of this technology is going to impact uh, that workforce and making sure that you really have a, a clear understanding of change management, like change management of culture, change management of from a technology perspective, and you're integrating all these new tools into an existing uh, environment. What is that going to look like, and how are you going to successfully do that? Because without a clear plan of change management and a clear strategy, it can often you can often introduce a lot a lot more risk uh, by introducing these cognitive automations than you you would expect uh, to a particular firm, which is something that uh, obviously we try to avoid. You know, we try to minimize risk to uh, the enterprise as a whole whenever we introduce new technology uh, into the environment. Yeah, that's really interesting. I uh, so I have a few takeaways from that. One, that it's really important to kind of have a very high-level view of the problem and kind of ensure that you know all the moving parts. And then two, that it's still a very human-centric approach, right? Uh, that, that it's not necessarily centered around the, the automation technology itself, but rather how it fits into our ecosystem. So that's certainly uh, encouraging to hear that that's still the case. Um, and then the third thing was that uh, it sounds like uh, robotic automation is kind of the gateway uh, gateway AI almost uh, that allows firms to kind of get the foot in the door and realize what it can do for them, um, but then really take it from there. Very much so, very much so. I think that the majority of firms that I have worked with and, and spoke with at different uh, conferences, majority of them start the, the kind of the cognitive automation journey with RPA, and then they begin to build other tools into that tool set uh, to have a, a holistic kind of uh, intelligent automation program within their firm. That makes a lot of sense then. And so while we're talking about uh, the impact of AI and, and what it can do um, and you know what it will do in five, 10 years, um, we, we we touched briefly on diversity and, and how it's incredibly important to, in general, but more specifically to you. Um, I was wondering how you think we can create a more diverse future for technology and specifically AI, because we, we know that, that uh, diversity in AI is a huge problem right now. It's a very male dom white male-dominated field. Um, and so I would like to hear a little bit more about how you think we can effectively create a more... Uh, equitable future? I think that is, and this is a, definitely a, a passionate subject for me, as, as you said, as a, as a minority uh, female in technology, uh, it, it really behooves me to make sure that everyone understands how, just how essential diversity is, and as you said, specifically within technology, where there have been so many conversations and, and you know, the, the conversation always revolves around the fact that it is a very white male-centric you know, industry. Uh, and what do we need to do to, to, I want to say, encourage more minorities and more women, right, to, to really consider uh, building a career in technology? And I think one of the first things I would I would say is we need to really, as a te as an industry, technology needs to eliminate invisible barriers to entry. And one of the invisible barriers to entry 
that I personally have experienced and that, that upon speaking with peers, I've heard they've experienced as well, uh, whether, as, whether as a minority or as a, a female in technology. It's the, it's the questions and the, the, the limits that we put on individuals who are not developers by trade, meaning they didn't go to, you know, school for computer science. Uh, you know, they, they don't have the, the background of being a coder, so to speak, and, and, you know, sitting somewhere, you know, and we have a picture of what it looks like, right, to be in technology where you're, you're, you're the nerdy guy sitting in a dark room, right, with <laughs> <laughs> your glasses and, you know, your, your headphones and you're just, you know, you're coding away, right? And it's interesting because whenever we see this depiction, we never see a depiction of a minority individual. We never see a depiction of a, of a female individual. And we do have women who are coding. We do have minorities who are engineers, right? But whenever you, if I were to ask, I, I would say if I were to ask anyone, you know, draw me a picture of what you think a developer looks like, they're probably going to draw me the picture I just described. Uh, and that in and of itself is, is another problem, right? That we have this, this barrier to entry that also revolves around what a technologist is supposed to look like. And we need to erase that. I think to, to diversify technology, we've got to change the way that we see or think about who is a technologist or who, what a technologist looks like. I think a technologist looks like me. I think a technologist looks like, you know, a guy who's coding. I think a technologist also looks like someone who is differently abled. And I, I think in order for the industry to, to really diversify uh, who, who we believe is capable of being a technologist, we really have to start with being almost a, we have a mental picture of who should be in technology and what a technologist looks like. And that needs to radically change if we are to start introducing uh, more of a diversification of individuals uh, who would be interested in being a technologist. Um, I also think a big way to diversify tech is going to be outsiders. I think outsiders need to take over the technology industry. Um, and specifically, when I say outsiders, I mean persons of color, I mean women, I mean individuals who identify as LGBTQ, uh, individuals who are living on the spectrum, individuals who are differently abled, because that level of infusion uh, of quote-unquote outsiders majority stakeholders who sit in technology today will really allow us like a, like to truly embrace innovation. And, and from my perspective, and even there's countless uh, empirical studies that are out there that say that, you know, diversification of thought actually leads to greater gains from a delivery perspective and, and meeting objectives perspective. Uh, and, and, get to that point, we have to really be bold about, about introducing creative, unique, uh, 
differently minded individuals into the tech industry, uh, particularly, I will say, at the enterprise level, because I think the startup level is starting to do this. And I, I see uh, there, there are a lot of incubators and a lot of accelerators who specifically focus on minority and uh, women-led uh, uh, kind of technology technology um, businesses, which is great. I think we're still waiting for that level of change in the enterprise as a whole, and that, that's across all industries, but specifically with within technology. We just we have to fundamentally change what it means to be a technologist if we hope to achieve true diversification within the technology sector. I couldn't agree more. You put that perfectly. Um, I think, uh, I think, uh, like you said, a big part of that is is how we picture um, people in technology, how we picture a developer. And you know, when you when you see people in movies and TV shows, it's you know, it's your your uh, glasses wearing white male who's hacking away on the keyboard, and and that's how we pick. I think that that you know that certainly needs to change. But I think that uh, it's it's certainly, uh, like you said, it's incredibly important for technology specifically to be more inclusive, um, especially with AI and, and how we're currently witnessing bias become so prevalent and so uh, important when it comes to the development of you know machine learning models or whatever it may be. Yeah, right. I, I, yeah, and there, there's been quite some conversation around that as well, right? It's where we are building existing human bias into our AI engines, right? Uh, and we being the individuals who are tasked with uh, developing and creating those uh, those AI models, and that's a huge uh, that's a huge conversation, right? Because that again is a direct result of a lack of diversity and, and diverse thought uh, within the technology community and specifically within the develop, developer community that we don't have enough voices asking questions about the way that we are, the way that we are programming uh, our, our different AI engines and machine learning, the way that we're creating learning models there, there aren't enough, there aren't enough diverse voices in the conversations that are being had uh, around the the coding and the application uh, of these particular uh, cognitive technologies. And as a result, you, you see a lot of human bias, uh, a negative bias that that has been uh, built into the, the fundamentals of of the tools that we are encouraging every from a young age to leverage. And that has very serious implications uh, for society as a whole. So it's a, it's a big conversation and it's a, it's a real challenge in terms of how do we address diversification in a way that we can ensure that we minimize, we, we may never, uh, there's a lot of conversation around whether we can ever truly get rid of all bias, and, and that may be, may not be possible, but it is possible to drastically reduce the amount of bias 
that we include into um, technology and specifically the, the types of technology that individuals and companies uh, are leveraging on, on a day-to-day, you know, almost minute-by-minute, you know, uh, perspective. Um, I think, mm-hmm. like you said, the the bias being put into the development and, and being used by these companies is be- certainly becoming more and more apparent. Um, when it comes to computer vision technologies and identifying, uh, you know, humans and, and how we define, you know, the human form, all that stuff, it, it certainly becomes more and more important. Um, and I was just curious uh, as to whether you think there will come a point we'll ever need regulations uh, to to kind of keep AI and, and uh, these technologies, uh, their development in check to some extent, or do you think it's well, within our capabilities as a society change how we think and how we approach the problem? I think it will be a synergy of both. Uh, I think, and we've seen this throughout human history and, and specifically within American culture, I, since that's where I'm based, thinking about, you know, how does the government at large and, and regulatory bodies, I'll say, how how does the message get passed either from society to the relevant regulatory bodies and vice versa, from the regulatory bodies to society as to what is acceptable behavior, uh, what is not acceptable, uh, what is what we are placing value on, right? Because at the end of the day, regulation allows us to understand what we place value on and what and how what the metric of value is for that particular entity, and I think regulation to some extent within AI and and cognitive automation will be necessary. If nothing else, to ensure that we that we can mitigate the amount of malicious actors uh, who may try to you know prey on consumers of, of the data that's coming from these cognitive platforms. But I also think that the synergy part comes into play because as a society, you know, and specifically with America, we, we pride ourselves, right? And we were, we, we are a society that's founded upon, you know, free thinking and the, the ability of the individual to govern themselves. Right. And, and, and then as a whole, we, we collectively, Govern other, and I think that in and of itself, almost say um, it's almost crowdsourcing, right? It's crowdsourcing uh, behavior and what we think of engaging with one another. And I think when it comes to technology and how we embrace AI and how we embrace machine learning, um, how we'll embrace uh, physical robots, right? And, and what is that going to look like when we incorporate? robots into households, you know, besides our, uh, what is it, our Roombas and our, our mechanical vacuums that we have today, you know, what is it going to look like to have um, a, a companion, a robot companion, right? And, and what are the ethics? Because now what we're really talking about is, are the regulatory bodies or is the society as a whole going to be responsible for, for creating and maintaining ethical standards around what it means to incorporate 
technology in a really meaningful way into human existence. And I think that really has to be a play. It has to be, there has to be some synergy that exists between individuals in the society and the regulatory body, or, or it's not going to work because sheer regulation of AI and machine learning, and, and if we have physical companion bots at, at one point in time, well, that if society doesn't embrace that and doesn't embrace the regulation or, or feels that the regulation is wrong for some uh, reason, it's just going to cause so much friction that it, we're never going to achieve what we're trying to achieve, which is the assimilation of technology into society with minimal negative impact to how we live today uh, and how we want to live, right, the decisions that we want to make. So I absolutely think that it has to be, I think regulation is important, but I, I also think that individual uh, responsibility and ownership of what does it mean to ethically embrace AI and, and you know, uh, robot companions? What does that look like? And how can we still maintain, you know, a, a level of, of decorum, both amongst our, our human entities, but then also with, if we get to the point where, you know, AI is truly self-sufficient, what does that look like from an ethical standpoint? And how, how would we regulate that, right? We're, we're talking about the regulation of a, 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 a being, in essence, that is not human. And would that, would that being, would that cognition have rights? Would it, you know, and what's the intersection of the rights that the technology would have versus the rights that a, uh, a, a, a natural-born, I guess is the best way to put it, a, a, a natural-born human would have. Um, it's, a, it's a very, very deep conversation, and I think we haven't even we haven't even scratched the surface of what that would look like. I, I've heard conversations around uh, general ethics of AI that have been ongoing for a few years, but we definitely haven't even begun to really dive into all of the nuances that are involved with once we truly embrace and integrate AI into everyday human life, what that's going to look like and what that impact is going to look like to us and how that would actually, how that would actually change the structure of how we govern ourselves as human beings uh, is Still, I think the jury is still out on that one. I yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more there. Um, especially when it comes to the the regulation of, like you said, a, a self sufficient entity. Um, you know, whether or not we will define it with consciousness, that's a whole other story. But I, I think that it's important that we start the conversation at the very least, um, so that when it does come, if it does come, uh, we're we're at least prepared uh, to some extent. Um, but uh, just to to kind of uh, hone in on that a little bit, it sounds like uh, your your philosophy background has certainly given you a, a leg up on, the, on this type of uh, thought. Um, and so I think that, like you said earlier, it's important that we get all sorts of backgrounds in technology and in AI 
Um, and, and certainly as we get closer to these more powerful technologies, the, the impact and the consequences both increase drastically. Um, so I, I really appreciate that there are people like you that are thinking about these problems that are in positions of, uh, of influence and are, and are actively, you know, shaping the future. Um, so I think it's incredible to know that we have, we, we do have a lot of these questions being, uh, actively talked about and answered by by professionals. And I know uh, we're getting close to our our hour, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. But um, we do like to ask a, a few more fun questions um, that are a little less serious. Uh, so if you have any favorite movie, TV show, or book that's about uh, that has to do with AI, uh, we would love to. So I'll throw out in an old school one, which is The Matrix, uh, which I absolutely love. Uh, and I love The Matrix because it, it really does start as a, a story about a hacker, right? A, a famous hacker uh, who's underground and who's kind of running from the government. Um, and, and it really gets into a story of exactly what we've been talking about today, actually, which is what does it mean to embrace technology and what happens when those who are embracing technology or embracing it to the detriment of other individuals. Um, it's a huge, huge kind of underlying theme in the matrix, which is, and then the other underlying theme in the matrix, which is cool and which is also what we've talked about today, which is, you know, the integration of human and machines, right? What does that look like? And, you know, should, should we embrace that? Uh, the Matrix really, there's a lot of, of talk throughout the entire series about, you know, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a machine? What does it mean to seamlessly become both, right? <laughs> so uh, for me, The Matrix, even before I was in technology, I, I loved it. I love it today. Um, I know they're coming out with a sequel, like an, another sequel, which I'm really excited about. Um, but yeah, definitely, I would say The Matrix, um, if I had to say one <laughs> one movie that I love. That's uh, I absolutely love The Matrix, too. And I, I love the, the discussion as to whether uh, whether the, the robots or the humans are the bad guys in that situation, right? Uh, yeah. You know, the robots create this utopia for us and, and we're still not satisfied. And so I think, it, it, like you said, it raises a lot of incredible questions, um, ones that we're certainly going to encounter in the future. Um, and so I, I, I love that movie for all of all, all three of those movies uh, for what they what they represent and what they're what they're really talking about. Um, so I can't thank you enough for uh, coming onto the podcast and uh, allowing us to pick your brain for even a little bit. Um, the amount of knowledge we've got in this hour, I think, is is um, absolutely incredible, uh, and I think our, our listeners are definitely going to appreciate it. So, thank you so much, Sydney. Um, we would love to have you back sometime, and uh, we wish you all the best. But thank you for taking the time, uh, allowing me the opportunity, really, to to kind of share my my thoughts and add to the you know the conversation about. Uh, Robotics, AI, technology, ethics, um, the, it's still a brave new world. Uh, and, you know, just I'm hoping and I'm very um, enthusiastic that as we keep moving towards the future, that diversity and, and really wrapping our minds around 
what technology can become and how we can integrate it even more into society is just going to be, it's a great conversation to have. Um, and I'm, I'm just excited to, to be a part of, of the industry as a whole. Well, you're certainly not alone there. We're, we're just excited and, and we love the idea of, of being able to help shape the future. Um, so if you just want to uh, give our, our listeners um, a little info as to where they can find you maybe or uh, any projects that you want to give a shout out to that, uh, that they, our, our readers and inter- our, uh, listeners might find interesting. Yes. So um, my name is Sydney Madison Prescott, and you can absolutely find me on um, LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, my handle is Sydney in the city. And I would say if I had to talk about a project, so I am actually working on a startup uh, of my own, which I'm extremely excited about. Uh, it is going to be... Um, it's going to be something dealing with fashion, with social media, and with getting rid of the stigma surrounding uh, what it means to be fashionable. I guess that's the best way to put it. Uh, my company is called Mirror Mirror, so look out for that. Uh, that will be very big in 2020. I'm hoping to get into an incubator soon, uh, and then... I am often speaking at a lot of events uh, across the country, specifically in New York City, where I'm based. So if you reach out to me, um, and I'd love to have coffee, talk about technology, talk about diversity. Um, anytime that you're in New York City, just please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, LinkedIn is definitely the best way. I'm always on there multiple times a day. <laughs> so, um, and I'm just looking forward to, again, uh, helping to be a part of the conversation around technology, diversity, um, and really embracing just cognitive automation as a whole. Thanks so much, Sydney. I, I'm sure I could have kept going for another two hours. <laughs> um, I would love to, <laughs> love to talk about the ethics and all that stuff. I, I really, really live for that stuff. But thank you so much for taking a little piece of your day out for us. That was awesome. For AI for you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on Thursday, July 30th for our next episode with Matt Barnes. Applications for AI are broader than we can imagine. And in our blog's newest column named Working Knowledge, we've dived into implications for AI in business and public policy. Check it out on our website at aiforanyone.org slash blog. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as well on your favorite platforms and our newsletter at AIforanyone.org. We'll be back soon.